World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, just before we get cracking into this week's episode, I wanted to jump on and mention our new support page. So as some of you may know, we're on a bit of a mission to increase accessibility to good quality management and career training. Um, and if you'd like to support us in this, you can go to www.worldofwork.io forward slash support to learn more. Hi, this is James. And Jane. So here we are again, back again for another episode of the World of Work podcast. Um, as ever, you can get in touch with us on the wowpodcast.org or tweet us. At the Wow Podcast. That's good. We're getting good at that, aren't we? Um, <laughs> so today we're going to do the usual uh, type of process. Um, but we're going to focus on personality tests or personality type testing, um, all things of that nature. We're going to do a high-level overview of the various tests and a little bit of reflection on what's in them. Um, and we'll be doing it with our usual walkthrough. So definitions first, a bit of research roundup, a list of a week. The list of a week for you is going to be roughly a five-step process you can go through with your teams to make some use of some of the ideas from personality testing. Um, stories from the keyboard, a few final thoughts and top tips, and then we'll check out and get out of your way for another week. So, how you been, Jane? I've been really good, thank you. Good. I've had a really good week. Um, I was kind of buzzing after our last podcast where we had our first guest. Yeah, that, that was, was fun, fun, wasn't it? Yeah, that was fun. It was great really, to chat to Laura. Yeah. yeah, really, really good to chat. Really interesting and kind of uh, got me thinking a little bit differently. And I have been very excited to research today's podcast. Good. Partially because, as you and I both know, we think it's about 10 podcasts worth of information. <laughs> as ever each time. And but... also because one of my secret foibles in life is when I'm a bit stressed at work and I'm not getting through enough work, I quite often go and do a personality <laughs> test to yeah. make me feel better. Yeah, you need a little bit of navel-gazing, right? I have right? literally like... no idea why it makes me feel better. Oh, yeah, I knew I was really bad at that and really good at this. Yep, but, yep. Um, and also, I'm not alone. I'm like all these other people. It's okay. Oh, I'm not alone. The day the day that you put your Myers-Briggs personality type onto your Twitter profile like I have, oh, yeah. the day you know you're secretly looking for other people to go, it's okay to be like that. Yeah. At least you've not put it on the end of your LinkedIn. At least I don't think you have. You know. It's not, no, and it's not on no. my CV either. No, delighted to know. That's good. So that's what we'll, we'll be doing. Hopefully it's interesting for you guys. Um, as ever, if you've ever got questions or thoughts or ideas for new topics, get in touch with us and we'll see what we can do to help you out. Um, so why don't we set the scene a little bit for today with some definitions. How's that sound? That sounds pretty good to me. So um, there's a couple that I want to start with. Um, one is a little bit of a reminder. Um, so... Uh, personality testing all comes under the study of psychology that's where it all comes from and just a reminder that uh, according to the psychologist psychology is the scientific study of thought and behaviour I just want to I'm just going to leave that there for a minute Um, and just the scientific thought study (laughs) of thought and behaviour so what's the key word there? (laughs) I I don't know maybe scientific Um, we'll come back to that Um, but so specific to personality testing useful definitions um, personality, um, waydictionary.com would talk about it, the sum total of the physical, mental, emotional, and social characteristics of an individual. Um, uh, I've also got a different definition for you, which is uh, the APA, so the American Psychology Association. They refer to it as individual differences in characteristic patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving, um, which I think is quite useful. When we talk about behavior, which both of those definitions mention, um, it's about the aggregate of responses to ex- internal and external sim- st- stimuli. I'm having a right problem with yeah. a couple of words today. <laughs> uh, but effectively, your behaviour is, you know, 
looking at how you respond to stuff that happens, whether yeah. it's internally or externally. Yep. Um, two really important terms that we probably are going to mention a couple of times today. One is archetype and the other is Jungian archetype. So an archetype is defined as the original pattern or model from which all things of the same kind are copied or on what they're based. So it's like a model or a first form. It's a prototype. Yeah, yeah a prototype, okay? basically, yeah. Um, whereas a Jungian archetype, which comes up and is quite relevant to some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, um, it's quite a, it's quite a specific concept, and I'm going to try and explain it best I can. But Jane, jump in if I don't mm. do it very well. Um, it's the idea that we have a collectively inherited unconscious pattern of behaviour or archetype or thought. So the idea is that effectively we have taken something from the society that's gone before us. Yeah, as we and grow up, and... we have developed it into an archetype. Yeah. Um, so I think those two uh, concepts are quite important. Just two more, uh, three more definitions. Uh, one is psychometrics. So uh, most of these personality tests uh, fall under the theme of psychometrics within psychology, which is a branch of clinical or applied psychology dealing with the use of an application of mental measurement. So it's the technique of measuring something that is in your mental behavior. Yeah, psyche and metrics, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's the two. And yeah, when you break it down like that, it makes so much more sense. Um, and then the last two to talk about are continuums and dichotomies. And the reason I've put, paired them together, ironically, um, <laughs> is because they, they basically are the two most common ways of trying to measure yeah. um, people's behaviors, personalities, etc. So a continuum is a continuous extent series or a whole. So in other words, a continuum is where you have a scale and you're going to mark yourself somewhere along it. Yeah, and you can basically be anywhere in a continuum, right? I mean... Yeah, Inf uh, theoretically, yeah, mathematically, you could be infinitely Yeah, it's, it's like points. kind of analogue, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, you can be anywhere along it. Whereas a dichotomy is two, uh, division into two mutually exclusive, opposed or contradictory groups. So that's where you will quite often have opposing statements. Yeah. So you might have, do you feel like this, more like this or like this? And you can only pick one of them. You can't mark yourself along that scale. Yeah. And, and it's binary, right? It's ones or zeros. You're yeah. either a one or you're a zero, but you're not a 0.5. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's quite important to understand that both of those things are used because they are tools to try and force um, a measurement of someone's personality. So um, it, everything that we talk about today, it's just really important to remember that all of this has been developed in order to try and proxy measure what's actually going on in your head, which is probably, even though we've got loads more uh, understanding as a, as a race, a human race about our brains, we still really don't know a lot about what's going on in there. So um, these concepts of using continuums or dichotomy of choices is a way for us to evaluate and try and you know figure out people's uh, labels and groups. Yeah, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about trying to put people into defined boxes and the way to figure out how to put them in a box is by either getting a way to assess them on a continuum or getting James, them to I, choose between James, i wasn't gonna go what, no. why would you think that i was gonna go there and I talk about people to, being labeled i'm just gonna preempt it a little yeah, bit yeah no absolutely so um i think we're both gonna have to manage our our, our uh, chimps on this one yes. because without question it's really important that science does try and understand how people behave and try and loosely label people so that we can help support them and figure out things but also there is a tendency once you group and uh, label groups of people that um, it becomes a race for simplicity which is the phrase you always use yeah. um, and we just need to be careful about how and why these tools are being used anyway so those are some definitions which i hopefully will help we've talked about uh, a reminder of what psychology is just you know 
because it's scientific. And then psychometrics, personality and behavior, archetype and Jungian archetype, and then this concept of continuum versus dichotomy. So I don't know if that's a good starting point. I know it's quite theoretical definitions today. So it might be a good time to then move on to the research. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, so in research, we're going to do a little bit of a history and a little bit of a review of some of the models out there, just so you know what we're going to be talking about. Some of the models we're going to touch on are, um, or I guess include, the Myers-Briggs um, type indicator, so MBTI. We'll touch on something called the Merrill Reed model. Um, we're going to touch a little bit on discovery insights. We'll have a look at the big five personality traits, sometimes known as the ocean model, or I think canoe, that's the other one it goes into. We'll touch on Berkman. Um, we'll touch a little bit on the Enneagram, and we'll look a little bit at type A and type B personalities. But before we get into those, and it'll only be a high-level review of those, by the way, just so you know. Um, before we get into those, we're going to do a little bit of a history of um, this type of work. So... Personality testing, like many of the topics we talk about, really has a founding father. And our founding father here is um, uh, Carl Jung. Um, and it, when we look at the beginning of things, he, he started his journey when he started working in a psychiatric hospital. I think he was around Austria, somewhere like that. I can't remember exactly where he was. Um, in the early 1900s. So someone like 1903 started working in a um, psychiatric hospital. He did that for years and years. And then in 1921... He published initially in uh, German a book called Psychological Types, um, which introduced uh, some of his thoughts around conscious function. Um, and we talked earlier about dichotomies, and here he introduced something I'll, I'll shed a bit more light on in a bit, but uh, several um, conscious function dichotomies. So he introduced the idea of perceiving as a dichotomy, saying that you can either be sensing, so using your senses to perceive things, or intuition, so intuiting and using some of your internal um, decision-making structures as a way to perceive the world around you. Um, and the other dichotomy he introduced here was around thinking or feeling, which is kind of similar. Um, and he also had another dichotomy here, which was uh, around whether you're inward or outwardly focused, so introversion or extroversion. So, so that sort of set of framework uh, and languages came out in 1921. In 1926, Catherine Briggs um, published an article in the magazine The New Republic, explaining Jung's theories. And that was really the start of her involvement in this type of um, psychological assessment work. And obviously she went on to work with her daughter and, and build out the Myers-Briggs model. Um, in 1944, the Briggs-Myers type indicator handbook was published. Uh, and that was what later became renamed as the Myers... Uh, let me try that again. It's not just you today, Jane. The, um, the Myers-Briggs uh, type indicator. So, and the MBTI manual was actually first published in 1961 as organizations started to get used to this or interested in it as they looked for advantages. And, and as, you know, as we might suggest, some of, the, um, some of the madmen and the advertisers started to think about how they could look at and categorize people and their decision-making processes um, as well. And then, you know, those models were heavily related to Carl Jung's work. And then in 19... Um, 81, uh, a, a pair called Merrill and Reed published a paper called Personality Styles and Effective Performance. And that started to um, build out on, you know, young, Jungian archetypes um, and started to introduce colors as ways to categorize people. So they had a red, they had a yellow, all that kind of stuff to define different high level personality types. Um, and that's a lot of a Jungian progress. And then once we started to get to the 1980s, there was a bit of a revival 
in some some really earlier work around um, the sort of continuum based capability type assessment. So these are things like the five factor model, which is um, the big five personality trait assessment. Um, so so that started to regain uh, prominence in the academic world as something that's a bit more potentially quantifiable and measurable and saying that how people have these skills um, help shape their um, personalities. Uh, and a little bit later on in 1993, we're going to call this one out, up in Dundee in Scotland, a father and son team founded a company called Discovery Insights. Um, and they, they also used a color-based approach to some of the Jungian assessment and focused really on the business world. And that's grown quite a lot. And, you know, a lot of Discovery Insights stuff is done in the UK and it's quite a good model for this. Um, and then as we, we go forward, we started to see some things that I found a, a bit difficult, which is different uses for these. So, you know, in, in my opinion, a lot of personality assessment is useful for self-development and self-awareness. Um, but it's kind of limited to that because of some of the, you know, repeatable nature of it and, and proof of um, what it means. Um, so some people started using it in things like job interviews and even things like, you know, prison release assessments and things like that. Some people started doing that. And then now, here we are, um, you know, pushing into the third decade of the 21st century and personality testing is a huge industry. Um, I tried to get numbers on it. I don't have them, but it's in the billions from, from the numbers I've seen. Uh, and individuals and organizations are spending huge amounts of money and actually time on these activities. Um, and there's clearly benefit to individuals of doing this, but there's certainly also some challenge to the credibility of some of the actual tests themselves and what they really mean. And we'll reflect on that a little bit as we go through uh, in a little bit more detail, the other bits and pieces. So what do you think, Jane? Any thoughts or comments on that little run through of history? Well, firstly, thank you for uh, that, because I've always tried to work out what everything, what order everything comes in. It's always a bit confusing. Um, I guess I share your concerns. Mm -hmm. um, like everything that I'm learning in acad academia at the moment while I'm studying, uh, the answer to pretty much everything is, well, it depends. And I, I feel like personality tests have been taken and and run with. It doesn't depend. These are these are measures, and yeah. they are measures, but they're they're approximate measures. And I think it's yeah. really important. They're approximations of what because we don't have a way of measuring personality, so they are approximations of trying to understand a breakdown. Yeah. And I think companies, in the desperation to label people, group people, make the best hires, sell the most products, mm -hmm. sell the most services, um, get the best customer service uh, scores use them and probably get dragged down a path where they use them in the wrong way yeah that's my nervousness yeah. um i also think it's i'm I, I, you know thinking about another piece of here of, of theory i'm i'm a massive i'm a massive subscriber to the maslow yeah. theory and i think that the explosion of interest in as you referred to it at the beginning accurately navel gazing Yes. Uh, when it is it, you know it is, and it does yeah, help yeah, you yeah. but I think that's a lot about as a western society where we are who's doing it yeah. I, I would hazard a guess that um, if you segmented the people that are spending the most amount of time doing this off their own back they are probably um, 
people who are not worrying about certain elements of that bottom yeah. of the park travel so they probably feel like they are achieving on some level yeah so so just and they're looking for something more. just for clarity on that Maslow basically says you need to take care of your base needs before you take care of more yeah. esoteric needs so you need food and housing before you think about other and, bits and pieces and, and then, then you need love and then you need yeah. to feel good about yourself yeah. and then you need to start to understand yourself and yeah. i think i think that to a certain extent we're seeing people getting to a certain level in their life chasing the rat race and then suddenly going hang on a minute yeah who am I? What am I doing? And why do I find... And I think the bit that I think a lot of people do, why do I find some things so much harder than others? Yeah. Um, for me, certainly, the bit of the, the research that I think really helps understand is this this idea that um, people were going... They, they went back to a continuum because they couldn't quite figure out how people broke down. And I yeah. think the more we go back and try and understand what people are getting to and then keep testing, then the closer we'll get. Yeah. Because at the moment, it's just an approximation they all are. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I love the idea of the rise of popularity of these types of models being a reflection on a societal shift where more people are ready to look for self-actualization and whatever it happens to be. Well, let's face it, James, um, you and I are not ones to shy away from trying to draw on <laughs> where society's taking us. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, why? Here but we go. I, I, yeah, but I do. And I think... Um, I think as long as you hang on to what they're useful for and why you're using them and don't look for answers, look for... Um, I think if you're starting to look at personality tests for answers yep. rather than information to help you make answers, then I think that's where you can go wrong. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Okie dokie. So a little bit more research for everyone. So, you know, we talked about the types... Uh, or we talked a little bit about the history and in that we talked about some of the types of models. Um, and I'm going to run through a little bit more detail on three types of models now. So the first one is the Jungian dichotomy-based models. So I'll, I'll shed a little bit more light on those um, and some of the models that have come out of, of Jung's work. Um, and then I'm going to touch a little bit on the behavioral continuum models, um, just so you can see what's in there. And then we'll spend a couple minutes on some other models, just so people are um, informed of the types of models that, that are out sound, there. That sounds great. Just a reminder, dichotomies, forced mm. choice between two, continuums, marking yourself on a scale. So yeah. just a quick reminder for everyone listening. Yeah. And nearly all of these are self-assessed models aren't they i mean this isn't somebody coming in and observing you this is you sitting down going through a questionnaire answering a series of questions and then that pushes you um towards a certain yeah box and i think that that notion of um perceived anonymous anonymity and privacy is part of the reason that people feel comfortable doing them yeah that's true okay so the jungian models i seem to have written here the jungian um dichotomies but that's okay we're going to talk about the jungian dichotomies so when young came up with his work as i said earlier he basically thought about these three different areas so are you inwardly or outwardly focused um how do you like to take information in do you like to use your senses and and you know really try and get some sort of empirical type things or do you want to use your intuition and have a bit more of an internal view on the information you receive um and then in terms of making your decisions do you do you really want to think about them or do you want to use your your gut sort of instinct and feeling so we have these three dichotomies and the maximum number of permutations of, of three takes you to eight. So that's how he ended up with eight different types. And essentially the way the Jungian dichotomies work are you can be one of each side of a dichotomy for each one of those three categories. So you start by saying, you know, are you inward or outwardly focused? In other words, are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? If you're an extrovert, you talkative, outgoing, um, you get energy from other people. You probably like fast-paced social environments. You like parties, social things like that. You kind of like some attention from other people. So that's your extrovert. And on the other side of that, you know, the other 
end of that, that dichotomy or the other option of that dichotomy is introversion where you're probably slightly more private, a bit more reserved. You like time alone to recharge and gain your energy back. Um, you probably like to take time to reflect on things. You prefer smaller groups to larger groups and you like to work things through on your own. So dichotomy one from Jung is, are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? And you're kind of one or the other. Um, and that's part of an anchor for your personality type. Um, the next of his dichotomies was how you prefer to take information in. So this is your sensing versus your intuition. So if you're a sensor, you pay attention to facts and figures, you use your senses in the sort of biological traditional sense, you, you use your eyes, you listen, you like to find practical ideas, you, you like to be specific, you're fairly literal, you're focused on reality, it's fairly empirical. Whereas if you're on the intuition side of that dichotomy, you, you like to focus on possibilities, you think about the big picture, you're interested in sort of ideas and concepts, even if they're not practical, um, and you're fairly figurative, um, in the way that, that you take information in. So again, that's another dichotomy. So you could be an extroverted person who likes to sense, or you could be an introverted person who uses your intuition. So again, that's a sort of uh, set of outcomes from those dichotomies. And the third dichotomy that Jung came up with was around how do you make decisions? So he said you could either be thinking or feeling. So thinkers, they use logic, they try and be dispassionate and fairly impersonal as they make decisions. So again, that's that logical type of view. Um, you know, they want justice and fairness and sort of conformity to, to rules. And they like to find flaws in arguments and the logical aspect of things like that. And reasonable and level-headed is a lot of the way they are. Um, and the flip side of that dichotomy of how you make decisions is feeling. So here you can have people who base their decisions on maybe their gut sense or their, their personal set of values. Um, they're more interested to some extent on how their actions affect others than whether or not they're logically right. Um, they, they probably tend more towards valuing harmony and sort of forgiveness, um, empathetic and, and the impact on people and looking for the best in people. So to some extent, they're looking for a different set of outcomes um, with more focus on, on some of the, the relational aspects there. So that's the, the three Jungian dichotomies. Clear? Yeah, sorry. Listening to you just reminds me how many rows I've had about these dichotomies um, yeah. in my career and in my family, in fact. Well. Um, I think it's really... There's a couple of things I would mention. One is that these are about preferences. You won't be 100% of one that's and 100% right. of the other ever, and you shouldn't be, and that's quite unusual. Um, although I am hilariously 90-odd percent. Are you? One of the, yeah. Oh, that's um, but it's important to understand it's preference. Um, and I also just a, a flag up that in in modern corporate culture there is quite often a push that one of these is better than the other in some of these They're, yeah and it isn't it absolutely yeah well there used to be just a general push particularly around thinking versus feeling yeah yeah okay. um that you know or sensing versus intuition that you know factual and, and all of this yeah. and actually that's not what the model's all about the model is about understanding how you will naturally prefer to do things such that a you can offset it but also you can learn where your skills are. Yeah. Um, and I just I throw that in because people like, um, ironically, people of a certain type of personality <laughs> will quite often look for cold hard facts. Yeah. And therefore they will look for this is what we need rather than a person who is self-aware and understands where their weaknesses and strengths are yeah. is your best bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so those are the three uh, Jungian dichotomies. And a, a little bit later on, um, Myers-Briggs um, introduced a fourth one, which was around how you prefer to live your outer life. 
And this is judging and perceiving are the two sides of a dichotomy. So, so judging is people who prefer to have matters settled. They, they like rules and deadlines. You value detail. They want sort of step-by-step instructions and the structure that comes with that. And they, they want to know what's coming up. You know, what's the future yeah. look like? And do we have a plan for it? So that's the, the judging side of that dichotomy. And the other side is perceiving in terms of uh, living your outer life. And this is people who like to leave their options open. So, you know, they might consider rules and deadlines as flexible. They're not really hard and fast rules. They're just guidelines, really. They like to improvise a little bit as they go along. They, they want to be in new situations. Um, and they might act a little bit more spontaneously. Yeah, the best example I ever had, I, I met a, a, a man and a woman who work in a business together. They're brilliant. And she is one of those and he is the other. Yeah. And the way they describe it is they used to have Monday morning meetings and she would lay out their entire week and it would be meticulously detailed and she'd come out of those meetings feeling fabulous and everything was on top and she knew every minute of the day. And he used to refer to them as a cold, grey hand strangling him and leaving any flexibility out of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they worked worked in HR and and in this stuff. So they they used it as an example. I just thought it was brilliant. Just how clearly that explains two different people and their different personalities yeah. and choices. And here I'm quite on the perceiving side. So I sometimes have meetings with judgment type people, judging type people, and every word they say saps my soul. It just does. <laughs> it's like, really? You're destroying my future. So Every word you're saying and takes so away an opportunity. So when we get on stories of the keyboard, my stories, one of my stories is about JMP. Yeah, okay. Um, at that fourth choice. And interestingly, it's not one, of, it's really important, it's not one of the original Jungian choices. No, yeah. They added it on from his work when yeah. they looked at other stuff. But I do think it's really interesting how, you know when we talked about values yeah. and this feeling in your inner stomach, yeah. right? When things, when I'm forced to behave in a way that is not my personality type or what I believe my personality type is, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a bit strangled. Yeah. Because, and I really have to work at it. Yeah. Um, and I thought, so when that guy described it as like, and you just said it feels like you're, all the joy is being sucked out. Yeah. And that's not because they're, I, I want to be really clear yeah. on this. It's not, so I'm a P2, right? Yeah. Extreme, quite, quite, not extreme, but quite high on the level. Yeah. It's not, I love Jays. Mm-hmm. I would like a Jay to come and run my life because it would be infinitely more organized, right? Yeah. But it's just when we're doing stuff together, we have to manage that really carefully yeah. because, you know, otherwise we want to kill each other. Yeah. And what you were saying there a little bit around, it takes you effort to work in that way. Yeah. I think there's something for us to do as an episode sometime around surface acting and deep acting and things like that and, and the emotional cost of behaving in ways that don't align to your underlying values or... Um, yeah. I guess personality and what I it. what I do love about the Myers-Briggs and I I know we're going to get onto some of the flaws around yeah. it and all of that but what I do love about it if nothing else as a very basic introduction to someone who's never thought about um, work behaviours before it is a great simple test to give people the confidence to talk about how they feel about yeah. their own and yeah. their teamwork um, so if nothing else um, I really like the four questions because I think they cover generally most of the big things that crop up when you've yeah. got team interaction. Yeah, yeah, they're really useful as, a, a, as an overview of the way that we work yeah. together. It's also the one that, like, you know, millions of people all over the world yeah, love to talk business. about. Yeah, it's a it's a big thing, yeah. Okay, so in terms of the models that come out of Young, then, so we've got Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, MBTI, we've got something called Merrill Reed, and the other one I want to touch on are Discovery Insights. So we had... Um, those four dichotomies that we talked about. So that gives us four paired options that we can choose between. And 
what that leads to is, you know, if you look at all the permutations within there, you end up with a total of 16 different personalities. Two times two times two times two. There we go. And, and that gets us to the total number of personalities that the Myers-Briggs type indicator will spit out. So when you do the assessment, you'll fill in a whole series of questions. If you do like a really simple version that somebody's put online, you'll maybe do 10 questions. I don't know. If you do the more detailed assessment, like the, the official one, I think it's like 80 to 100 questions. I, it's been a couple of years since I've done it. Yeah. Interestingly, um, when I did it with a guy who had done it a lot, he said, do it. Do yeah. two different tests. He sent me two links to two different tests. Said, do them both. Yeah. See what you come out with. He said, then read the answers to all of them and see which one feels right. Yeah. And he said, it's it's got to be... Even if you do, if you read something, it's not feel right. Don't trust the assessment. Yeah, trust yeah, yeah. you. Yeah, you yeah. know you better than anyone. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really helpful because at one point I was split between two, and then I read it. I was like, no, 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 yeah, that's not me. It's clear. That's what you're yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's a good point because you can game the tests. The frame of mind that you're in when you're doing the questions, a little bit about your audience. There's a, a little huge bit about... amount about being careful how many times you do it. Yeah. Because I know I know what the questions are yeah. trying to do. And yeah, then yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I really want to be more like that. Yeah. And sometimes you know what your organization wants, or you know what your peer group wants. Yeah. So you're, you're drawn towards goals and you, you can kind of in, interpret your way through. Yeah. Anyway, so, so Myers-Briggs has got um, 16 different potential outcomes. Um, and what I was going to do is just read out some of the, the pairing names, uh, sorry, the pairing letters with a name of that personality type. So although these names they've come from different places. They come right? from different places and, and they're you know, each one of the, the sort of four letter outcomes that appear in Myers Briggs has a different name somewhere else. Yeah. But these gives a these give a bit of insight. Okay. So just really quickly, um, an ISTJ, so again that's an introverted sensing thinking, judging person, ISTJ. They're sometimes known as a logistician or a duty fulfiller. An ISFJ, so that's an introverted, sensing, feeling, judging. They might be known as a defender or nurturer. Um, I'm not going to do all the letters um, in the future. I'm just going to do the letters in the name as opposed to running back through what they are. But an ESTJ, sometimes known as an executive or guardian. An ESFJ is a console or a caregiver. ISTP would be a virtuoso, maybe a mechanic. ISFP is an adventurer or artist. ESTP is an entrepreneur or doer. ESFP is a entertainer, performer. INFJ, advocate, protector. INFP, mediator, idealist. ENFP, campaigner, inspirer. ENFJ, protagonist or giver. INTJ is an architect or scientist. INTP is logician or thinker. ENTP is a debater or visionary. And ENTJ would be a commander or executive. So again, you know, these names just give a little bit of a sense of the flavour of what's under there and you know people can do their own tests and see what they think have um, you uh, firstly do you subscribe to Myers-Briggs do you like it so I like it um, like you I think it's a great way to open up conversations about personality and all that kind of stuff um, and I kind of I kind of like it and I can see myself in there a little bit go on and, then where are you so I'm ENFP yeah so we're both ENFP yeah. people um, and uh, the extreme that I was talking about is that I'm an extreme extrovert. Fine. And so the way pe- I, people can't, although I talk a lot, people are always quite surprised when I say that because they're like, but you like, you spend loads of time on your own. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to understand it. For me, the way I think about it is my energy levels with yeah. the E and the I. So if I don't see people for a few days, my energy dips. Yeah. And I, I need to be reacting off people to get that yeah, spark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my partner's an I, mm-hmm. and is the complete opposite. If yeah. we spent too much time in group settings, uh, we have to come home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that so, balance is important. So I think it's um, I think it's really important uh, mm-hmm. that it's not 
no one's everything no one's all of everything yeah yeah and i'm much closer to the introvert side but i'm still in the e so i'm like a quarter of the way into e of this you know binary thing okay so so that's myers-briggs that's one of the the key builds out on on young's work uh next one i want to touch on is someone called meryl reed so this is uh from a book called social styles by david meryl and roger reed and they basically took the Jungian things and split them into four large personality types um, and they started to introduce these sort of quadrants of personality and to, to bring colors to them. And I'm bringing this in because it feels like a bit of a stepping stone to discovery insights, which I'll talk about in mm-hmm. a minute. So within social uh, styles, they said that broadly there were four main types of personalities. There's red, which is a, a driving personality, and they need results. They prefer action and their weakness is listening. Right. So at a high level, you can kind of tell the type of person that feels that they're in there. They like to tell more than ask. Um, and they like to control their emotion more than display it, basically. So that's a driver. Then they had blue for expressives. And they're telling again, so their style is to tell people. But their emotional style is to display their emotion. Um, they need approval. They prefer spontaneity. And their weakness is kind of impulsiveness. Um, and then we get sort of orangey yellow, which are amiable. So from an assertiveness perspective, they ask. Um, from an emotional perspective, they display emotion. Um, and their needs are to feel safe. They prefer relationships and their weakness is taking action. Um, and then the last of these quadrants with a, uh, an emotional style of controlling their emotion, but an assertiveness style of asking is known as analytical. This is green. Um, their needs are to be right. They prefer to think and their weakness is pushing. So, you know, this was a 1981 model. Again, I believe it was questionnaire based and people would end up in one of these boxes and it would give a bit of an insight into who they are yeah it's interesting because um i've read a very little bit about this but um one of the things that um i think is uh when i well when i was reading through it i think that the idea so a lot of these models will pick out one or two things yeah so for example in this case they've picked out one one weakness in each area yeah but actually i think the frustration is that the value in the models is when you delve in and understand a bit more about what the the combination of weaknesses and in response to what situations. The situational stuff. So, for example, that analytical piece, they talk a lot about uncertainty being a weakness in certain situations. Yeah, yeah. When you're not at your best, maybe your uncertainty rises. And it's it's not going through that, not... uh, So I really encourage, like, deep dive into this if you're interested because it, um, it does help you understand how you might react in certain situations, which is ultimately what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Then the last of the Jungian ones I wanted to touch on is Discovery Insights. Of course, Scottish, based out of uh, Dundee, which is exciting. <laughs> Plug Scotland, go Scotland. Yeah. For those of you who don't remember, we're based in Edinburgh, <laughs> yeah, so we're totally Yeah, we biased. live in Scotland, so there we go. Um, and they're actually, you know, they're big in the UK. I don't know how big they are overseas, but I think they're certainly, I think I saw like 20 countries they work out of now. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're definitely the preference in non-profit in Britain. Yeah. We see it a lot. Yeah, and, and, and in the large corporates I've been in, it's, it's a big, big thing here as well. And I think it's, kind of a simplicity that's helpful mm-hmm. anyway again this is a questionnaire based um, approach self-disclosure you answer a series of questions and they they put you into i think ultimately there's like 72 different boxes you can be in but fundamentally they work off what they call um something like personality energies i can't remember the word there's some kind of energies mm-hmm. i think it's personality energies and they think that there are four main personality energies that align quite well with the merrill reed um model but also you know, it all comes out of Young's work. So they have four colors. They've got fiery red, sunshine yellow, earth green, and cool blue. So again, fiery red people are competitive, demanding, determined, strong-willed, and purposeful. 
they're kind of like you know driving things forward sunshine yellow people are sociable dynamic demonstrative enthusiastic and persuasive um, earth green people are caring encouraging sharing patient and relaxed and cool blue people or cool blue energy is cautious precise deliberate questioning and formal um, and the, the point here is that people have all of these energies in them and you've got a mixture of all these sort of personality energies but you probably have a dominant one or at least a dominant two and and that frames kind of a way that you like to work and the way that you like to work with others and all those types of things that are, that are helpful. Outcomes. And that's how they get to 72. So yeah. 72 is just a pattern of those four. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so do you have, so for example, I'm, uh, I am I have almost none of two of them and then I have a okay. high one and a mid one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some people have three. They usually, and very rarely does someone have sort of all low four. Yeah. But they'll usually have either one or two stronger ones and then majors and minors they also have a really interesting part of their module model which i really like which is conscious and unconscious yeah so say a bit about that i was gonna say that uh, okay sorry no 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 go for it go for it so i I just i love the one of the things i love about the suffering insights and i'm not i'm I'm not always a massive fan of it in some of the ways that the language comes across but one of the things i really love is that they measure self-conscious and unconscious yeah and the idea is that it really helps with people who not, not put on a persona at work, but we'll dial, we, we used to call it dial up, dial down. Yep. So we'll dial down certain behaviours and dial mm-hmm. up certain other behaviours at work or in yeah. a more formal setting. And they're keeping a sense of themselves private. Yeah. And actually, I used to refer to it as the fifth quadrant. Yeah, How okay. much you are um, in some levels keeping some of your unconscious behaviours behind closed yeah. doors, so to speak, or yeah. dialing them up, I think it's really important. So like, for example, with Fiery Red, you could present as... They give you feedback in sort of bar charts so so you can see what sort of percentage you are. So you could be presenting fiery red as, say, 75%, and that would be a really dominant thing. But your unconscious could be, say, 50% fiery red. So that's an implication that you're acting a little bit more in a certain way in the environment that you're in. Yeah, and I suspect suspect you might see that earlier in people's new jobs and things like that. So Yeah, and it's probably dependent on culture as well, I think, a little bit. Yeah, uh, certain amounts on culture, certain amount. I also think there's an element of it on values um, and the, we, the the level at which you want to behave. And we talked, to, I think we talked last week when we talked about authentic leadership, but everything's an effort. Yeah. And it should be a little bit of an effort. And I think to a certain extent, really, particularly in very senior levels or where you're looking after a lot of people, there is an element of needing to be aware that there might be stuff that you have to dial up or dial down to yeah. the situation. Yeah, and to work with people, right? Yeah. Um, Okay, well, that's a bit of an insight into <laughs> Discovery Insights. Hopefully that gives nice. you... <laughs> it was funny, right? Uh, hopefully it gives you guys a background in these sort of Jungian-based models. And there are other ones out there. These are just ones that we chose to speak about. Um, next, we're going to quickly run through some behavioral continuum models. Mm-hmm. And again, these don't build out of the work that Jung did. And instead, they look at, I guess, um, competencies or sort of preferred um, behavioral traits. Um so it's a different thing. They're, they're not binary, so they're not based on dichotomies. Um, they ask a series of questions and give people kind of scalar, continuum-based assessments against a certain set of personality criteria. And in some ways, or some people think that they're maybe a little bit um, more accurate or more scientific, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think all of this stuff is yet really to be proven. So we're going to touch on two sets here. So the first thing I want to touch on is the big five personality traits, um, sometimes known as the big five personality test when you're using it as a test. Um, it's also known as the ocean model because the first letter of the different um, characteristics each uh, spells out ocean, sometimes canoe because those are anagrams of each other, I believe. 
Oh, I certainly hope otherwise I've misled you. Um, so what are the big five personality traits then that are assessed in a big five personality model? Well, the first one is openness. And this is um, a sort of scalar. You can be really, really open or you can not be open at all. Um, so openness reflects curiosity, kind of creativity, seeking novelty as opposed to routine. Um, open people tend to appreciate arts and adventure and unusual ideas. Um, and they probably take some more risks. Um, but on the other side of that, they might lack focus or might be a bit unpredictable. Um, they tend to, you know, probably like careers in the arts um, or drawn to self-actualization. And on the other end, people who are less open uh, tend to find fulfillment more through perseverance as opposed to self-actualization. They're often pragmatic, maybe more data-driven. Um, at a negative side of things, they might be considered a little bit dogmatic. So that's your sort of openness scale. You've got lots of it or you don't have much of it. So that's openness, which is the O for motions. The C for motion is conscientiousness. So if you're really conscientious, you tend to be dependable, dutiful, self-disciplined. Um, you tend to be structured and like having a plan. You generally work towards goals in a focused way. Um, slightly negatively, you might be perceived as stubborn because you're so you know, determined and goal-focused. Um, if you've got low levels of conscientiousness, then you, you're probably a bit more flexible, a bit more spontaneous, but you can come across as sloppy and unreliable. Um, the E is around extroversion again. So, you know, extrovert is high levels of extroversion and introverts low levels of extroversion. So extroverts, as we've said before, they kind of seek stimulation and derive energy from others. They're often fairly energetic and talkative themselves. Um, sociable, they might be assertive. Um, it... it a sort of more negative level, they could be considered as attention-seeking or sometimes domineering. Um, at low levels of extroversion, so for introverts, they're reflective and reserved. Um, they probably seek time alone to recharge um, and might be less dominant in social settings. Um, the, the downside of that is they might be considered aloof or distant or self-absorbed if, if, um, if people are looking for negative words to associate with them. The A from Ocean is agreeable. So um, these are individuals who tend to value other people, value being around people. Um, they like cooperation. They're fairly compassionate. They tend to naturally trust others. They tend to see the best in other people. Um, they like to help people and they're generally quite good tempered and good natured. Um, if people are really highly agreeable, they might be gullible, you know, overly trusting. They might be naive. They might be a bit submissive. Um, on the other side, though, individuals with really low levels of agreeableness might be argumentative or untrustworthy, certainly untrusting. They might be antagonistic. They could be suspicious of others. Um, and they're more likely to be challenging of others and competitive as well. So that's the A, that's agreeable. And then the N is neurotic. So people with high levels of neuroticism tend towards stress and worry and anxiety, maybe even things like anger and depression. Um, you know, they're less perhaps emotionally stable than some others. Whereas on the other side, low neuroticism results in emotional stability, control. Um, but, you know, at the extremes, people who have really low levels of neuroticism might come across as unempathetic or uninspiring, undynamic, or maybe even boring, because they're not providing that sort of life spark of emotional uh, energy that, that some people look for. Um, high levels of neuroticism can create, you know, excitable, exciting people but it also really does lead to worse psychological health, so there are correlations there. So that's the big five traits, um, or ocean. 
So again, O-C-E-A-N, that's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So the ocean model is a, a big common model that's used now. And one thing that I really like about it is a lot of the stuff on it is open source now. So you can find open source um, places to do uh, big five personality tests. And I'd say if you're doing those, um, people will probably often ask you if they can use your results for continued testing. And I'd say yes, because we need to understand a bit more about um, the impacts of these things. Well, given that I'm currently back in academic life, yes, please do share it because it really helps. Um, there's a, probably a shout out worth mentioning is yeah. openpsychometrics.org, yeah. who um, pull together all of these sorts of free resources um, in return for asking politely if they can share your data. And we are aware and we're very conscious that there's been big issues around sharing data in yeah. the past. Um, so we probably won't shout out anyone else. But I would say if you have a look at you can you can understand a little bit more open psychometrics are very open about what they do with it and how they use it. Yeah. So so that's good. I mean, I, I like that. Um, I've done a quick test on there. I've not done any sort of formal long things, but it feels fairly accurate to me um, as much as these things are. I think um, the thing I most like about uh, this one is um, bringing in these terms. Mm hmm. Particularly, I think openness and agreeableness and conscientiousness and splitting them out yeah. helps. Um, I found even having that terminology helps people to understand where they are versus where other people are and where they might want to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It certainly helps with a common language, right? And that's what a lot of the benefit of this stuff is, is around helping people explore their preferences and, and how to express their preferences to others and reflect on others. Um so we've got one more behavioral continuum model. This is the Berkman model. And the Berkman model holds itself out as being fairly empirically based, um, but again, focusing on, uh, you know, sort of behavioral traits that, that people exhibit. And the outputs that it provides are quite good, and it's very work-focused. So the others tend to be, you know, useful in all works of life, but Berkman really is about, you know, work-focused, work and it's, it's very targeted to that. Um, all I'm going to do here is run through some of the high-level things that Berkman feeds back. They actually provide six types of feedback back to people. Um, I'm only going to reflect on four of them. Um, so they, they provide you uh, feedback on your usual style of working. They provide you feedback on your motivational needs. They provide feedback on your stress behaviors. And they provide feedback on your preferred activities. Um, the other ones, I, th I think it's like the job clusters that are right for you. Um, and then there's another thing, I can't remember what it is. There's a sixth thing they give feedback for. But the reason I picked up these four is that, again, they use colors for these. So for your usual styles, there are four different usual styles. Again, it's red, yellow, green, or blue, and they all mean something slightly different. I do have, I do have a, a plea to psychological researchers and psychometrics developers. Please, can you stop using red, yellow, green, or blue? Yeah, pick because another Because they color. all don't match, and it's all really confusing. It is, it is, it is. So I'm definitely different here. So I'm just going to run through what they provide back here and then we'll jump quickly on some other models and then move on. So under Berkman, usual styles, there are four different colors of usual styles. So red is friendly, decisive, energetic, frank, and logical. Yellow is orderly, focused, cautious, and insistent. Green is competitive, assertive, flexible, enthusiastic about new things. And blue is insightful, selectively sociable, thoughtful, reflective, and optimistic. So you can see they cross over a little bit with some of the words from some of the other areas, but the colors are a little bit different. Sorry, from um, crossover with the words um, used by some of the other tests, they're just grouped slightly differently. In terms of motivational needs assessed, again, red, yellow, green, blue. Red is a motivational need for group interaction, clear-cut situations, busyness, direct, logical working. 
Yellow is organized, desire to concentrate on tasks, trusting environments, consistency. Green is a competitive environment, to be assertive, flexibility, novelty, and variety. Blue is individual interaction, supporting environments, an opportunity to express feelings and time for reflection. Then, pardon me, stress behaviors. We've got red being, um, you know, it, it's hard to give support to others. You can be impatient. You can make yourself busy um, or you can dismiss others' feelings. Yellow people might be insistent on rules. They might resist change. They might be reluctant to undertake confrontation where needed and they might be gullible. Green people might be distracted easily. They might distrust others, might become domineering, might fail to follow a plan. And blue might ignore social convention, be indecisive, find it hard to act or start to see the worst in people. So those are stress behaviors. And then preferred activities, you know, red is, um, you know, driven by implementing, by finishing things, by solving problems, by working through others. Yellow is around a desire to schedule things, to work on detail, to have close contact with work, to maybe work in a numbers-based environment, working with systems. Um, green is about selling, persuading, motivating, counseling, teaching, generally working with people and communicating. And then blue is about planning and abstraction and finding new ideas and ways of working and approaches, innovating um, and generally working with ideas. So roughly that's what Berkman provides. And it also tells you which job families in the world are, are good um, fits for you um, and things like that. So very work focused. Have you ever done anything with Berkman? Or? Do you know, I've never come across it. Um, and what I would say looking at it is it leads me very neatly to a warning about all of this stuff yeah if you look hard enough you'll find yourself in everything yeah and um because i'm really to it going oh well i know which one i am oh but i could also be that one yeah and i think the more the older i get and oh god i sound like such an old lady the older i get the more i become aware that um i have different behaviors in different situations that yeah. don't always fit any one group and the most important thing is to understand and recognize those behaviors and then manage my behavior accordingly. Yeah. Um, but I'm totally green. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy, isn't it, right? Yeah. That's me. Do you know, for, for me, it's always the negative. So it's always wherever they say stress behaviors or yeah. things to do, and you read them, you go, oh, that'd be me. Yeah. That'd be me failing miserably. It's funny, isn't it? Okay, so those are our sort of behavioral continuum type models. We have a big five personality test in there, or the ocean model, and then we talked a little bit about Berkman. I'm going to spend a really short amount of time on some other models just to chuck them out there, um, just to reflect on them a little bit. The first one I want to check out is something called the Enneagram. That's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Now, I looked at things like internet search volumes, and there's actually a huge amount of search volume on this one, um, but I'm not going to spend much time on it. It's, it's fairly sort of spiritual, um, and it's in its background. It doesn't uh, intrinsically to me lend itself to business content as much as some of the others but people are looking to bring it into business so you might come across it um, essentially it calls out nine different personality or, or role types that they define and there's a lot of crossover with the other models so there's um, you know a role is a reformer and a perfectionist a helper giver an achiever performer an individualist romantic an investigator observer a loyalist and loyal skeptic an enthusiast and epicure a challenger and protector and a peacemaker mediator. So that's all I really want to say on that. I mean, have a look at it if you want. It seems like it's fairly popular, but it's probably the, the least tested and least empirical of the models, which yeah. maybe is saying something. I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. Um, they use some of their terminology 
and some of its roots is heavily twinned with religion and as you mentioned spirituality so they do have concepts like the holy idea and the temptation rather than your weaknesses so just when you go in be prepared for that yeah okay don't be like why are you saying me this thing because it's an interesting model it comes from a very different place but uh if the goal is self-awareness then you know use whatever tools you think that's right yeah yeah so so that's it on that one another thing i want to touch on is um an idea called type a and type b personalities so this one i think is really interesting and um interesting for probably all the wrong reasons if i'm honest so there was some work coming out of uh, heart surgery of all places and i can't remember when it was like the 60s or 70s or something like that and a pair of surgeons started to identify a correlation between certain personality types and the propensity or i guess the likelihood of coronary failure and, and heart disease and they went on to say oh well this is interesting you know with this correlation why don't we spend a bit more time and look at it and work out some of the detailed um, specifics and they ended up with two types of personalities they had type a and type a people are you know highly strung or more highly strung than type b they're competitive self-critical intense and maybe likely to overreact they're in a rush impatient frustrated by inefficiency um, you know they try and make the most of their time multitasking work really hard all that kind of stuff right and more likely to become angry than type b and then type B is, you know, slightly more chilled out, right? Hanging out. Um, they're calmer, more relaxed, uh, not in so much of a constant rush, less of a sense of need to compete. And they don't need to, to achieve as highly. They're more patient, more tolerant, um, generally see the good side of events and people and don't become frustrated or angry and all that kind of stuff. So they decided that, yeah, there are these two personality types and there's a high propensity for heart failure with type A people. Wow, I wonder where that came from. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Um, so that's that's out there, and there's some real problems with it. And one of the real problems is a lot of this study was actually, well, it, it wasn't replicable, really. Um, but also, a lot of it was tobacco-funded. And it's really interesting. So the tobacco lobbying groups and funding bodies were looking to identify other causes for heart failure, um, apart from smoking. So they tried to, to invest in this and, and say that actually personality types had specific predispositions to heart failure. So it obviously, you know, smoking isn't the cause, it's a personality type. Yeah. Um, so some, some real difficulty there. And, and the correlations do exist, it, it turns out. But it seems like one of the only things that really affects this is anger. And, you know, if people are angry people, that leads to an increased risk of heart failure, basically. So, you know, Well, because I would imagine it's that they can't, they can't adequately control their response to external stimuli. Something which like that. Which would make total sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's really important that you mention that because... I mentioned at the beginning about this whole idea that psychology is and, and psychometry is about scientific testing. Yeah. Um, so I sit in classroom on a, virtually on a regular basis and have HR managers and managers saying, why do we need to learn about research methods? Why do we need to learn about how this stuff was founded? If it's good tools, let's use them. Yeah. And I think it's really important that Massively. people look back and I know it's a pain in the neck, but just do a bit. I mean, it doesn't take long to a bit of Googling, try and find out where things have come from. Use Google Scholar. Um, use whatever you can to try and find uh, whether a science considers this good stuff yeah. is the easiest way. Yeah. Because what you're looking for is you're looking for a proxy measure to say, yeah, I've got I've got a reason to believe in this stuff and use it. Mm-hmm. And also caveat everything when you work with people. Just say, you know what? There's no proof because proof doesn't really exist in psychology, really. Yeah. Um, what there is is there's a decent evidence base that something yeah. something is or isn't useful. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And and you know I think in later episodes. 
one thing I'd like to do is to look through some of the famous experiments or famous ideas and models that have worked their way into HR and try and say, we just need to prod these a little bit because I think a lot of them are bogus. Well, it's it's astonishing that Myers-Briggs comes up about every other week at yeah. uni and every other week the, the, uh, the lecturers are like, look, you just, we're just trying to make you aware that the evidence base underneath it has got some shaky ground. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean it shouldn't be a useful tool. It doesn't mean that people don't love it and have taken it to their hearts. It, it just means you need to understand what it is and isn't valuable for. Yeah. So, so just, I guess, before we go on to our list of the week, which is quick this week, what do you think the benefits and, and uses are of personality tests? How would you describe it? And what, what aren't they, I guess, as well? Okay, so don't hire people based on personality tests, please. Mm-hmm. Um, do understand what the traits are so that you can understand what traits you might be looking for in someone and their natural preferences so that when you interview them, you've got a thought about that. That's sometimes helpful and understand the balance of your team. Mostly, though, I use them... Uh, for increasing self-awareness yeah. so people understand and start to look at themselves. Um, a, I use them particularly when I think they will be more receptive to it from a computer in the privacy of their own home yeah. than they will be from me telling them yeah. what I think they are. Um, and I also think they are brilliant at mediation between team members. So I have used them. I have I have taught two team members on a regular basis about one of the models so that they can understand that they have natural opposing preferences and therefore helping them to understand it's not that they're good one of the because you develop this i'm good and you're bad yeah. it's not that you're different and let's talk about how we work yeah. together so that's why i use them yeah I, i'd echo that exactly i'd say self-awareness other awareness but nothing more than that not for decision making oh and total procrastination tools right yeah yeah so much fun it's fun they are fun right if you want to indulge in reflecting on yourself a little bit there i got my whole family to do it, it. yeah oh, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. really fun when i got my mum to do it my mum came out furious Did you? yeah <laughs> Well, interestingly, if you read up on ENFPs, I think it says you can do anything you want in the whole wide world because you're very special. At least that's what I took from reading it. I don't know if you did as well. But No, what I, it's <laughs> ironically, uh, what I take for it every single time is um, uh, maybe this is just my negative outlook in life. I look at it and go, you can help anyone do anything, but you probably won't get it done yourself. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's Research Roundup then, right? And, and I know there's a lot of stuff in that this week, but hopefully... It gives people an overview of all things personality testing, or at least enough of a baseline that people can go off and make some of their own decisions and look at absolutely look at things. So I think over to list of the week. Um, I think it's quite a, a brief one this week. Do you short, want to short list of the week. Uh, five steps to having a go. Um, uh, step one: get everyone to do it on your own. So pick a test. Let's and this say, is for a team, right? Is this like running? Yeah. Everything? So if you're going to try and bring it into your team, or if you're going to try and do it within a team that you're part of, um, find a cheap free test. Um, we've already mentioned a place that you can find it on but there's others get everyone to do it don't make them do it at work Um, let them do it in the privacy let them read the report in the privacy uh, and ask them to put some time aside so step one get them to do it step two get them to put some time aside to read it and to identify the surprises identify the things that resonated and the things they didn't feel resonated and get them to identify what they're comfortable sharing that's all step two so step three Right, take all their tests of what they share, they're uh, happy to share with, and plot them on either a compass diagram or in a matrix or something like that, so that people can see how people are spread out. And then bring them all together in a group and ask them to group themselves roughly into quadrants or into the groups of personality tests that they yeah. are. So maybe all your, if it's discovery, all your yellows in yeah, one corner, all exactly. your reds in another. Um, and if they're not sure, let them choose. Don't start, yeah. you know, if they say, oh, I'm not sure I'm yellow and blue, which one do you want to be? Yeah, go. just go for it. Don't get hung up on what it is. 
um, and get that group to uh, think about how they like to be communicated with, um, set them a series of questions like, how do you like to communicate? What are your skills? We used to talk about superpowers. Yeah, what do you think yeah, yellow yeah, superpower yeah. is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the situation where yellow, you're going to go charging into the office and go, oh my God, you, you and you, I need yeah, you Yeah, it's I'm like struggling. the, the um, bat light, you know, when it you're going to shine exactly. the bat light. You know, we talk about that a lot, about <laughs> yeah. superpowers and also try and identify where you might need a bit of extra help um, and then ask that as a group to come back to the team. The one couple of warnings, if you're bringing people back together into a group, make sure you know if there's going to be someone sitting on their own. So I did this once and because of the way it was scheduled, I ended up doing it with the entire accounting and finance team mm-hmm. and the IT team. And they were all over in blue mm-hmm. and a little bit red. And there was me on my solitary yellow, yellow. <laughs> feeling like, and it's not, it's not a problem because ironically yellow is probably okay with that. But it does mean that I end up talking on behalf of all yellows, which feels yeah, very wrong. So wrong. do try when you're scheduling and across bigger teams, do try and make sure that you've got a bit of a mix or try and make sure you can bring someone else or can you act as it as a facilitator yeah. um, I, we, we did this once and actually when we split people into groups we gave them an exercise and said okay why don't you pretend that you're going to be arranging a really really big party in the future as a celebration go and do that and then people fed back on how they went about that yeah and you know where they start and what they focus on was so one of people. the really interesting things about that is starting to use action-based testing yeah on that and actually an interesting part of psychometrics that's coming is um, action based mm-hmm. so there's a company that's started doing uh, personality testing based on setting you tasks and then right. observing you or you feedback on how you did the task so I think that's that's where we're going I think that's where psychometric testing is going is much more around a combination of your thoughts but also your actions because the reality is that as we talked about at the beginning all of these things can be gamified it's about where you are what you are you know what you think and you you filter right yeah you filter your behavior unconsciously all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's really, really helpful. I think the most important thing I would say about if you're going to do it in a group, be really clear at the beginning. People only have to share what they want. Yep. And also make yourself open to people talking about it afterwards if they're concerned about what it means. Yeah. Cool. Stories from a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> Should I kick go, this off? Go, go. Okay. Tell me all about yours. So uh, there are lots from different things I've done, but the one thing that I, I want to call out is a, you know, a story, but it's a bit of a word of warning as well. When people do this, particularly for the first time, if they identify with a category, it can be almost a, a sort of true believer-like moment. They can think, wow, I suddenly belong. Here I am. This is clearly me. And that's great, right? But one of the negative sides of that is that people can suddenly say, well, this is me. I can abdicate responsibility for things that don't fit with my personality. So I'm a yellow. I can never do detail or whatever it happens to be. And, and that can be a really negative thing. So, so watch out for that. Um, and you, you might see it happen. So whenever you're introducing these things, make sure you explain that everybody has all of these things and it's just a bit of guidance. And it's, it's not about excuses. You know, it's not absolutes. Yeah, it's a preference. It's a preference. You still have, you know, I, I have a preference to talk all day. I have to shut up sometimes yes. or I will lose my voice. Yes, yes. Um, any stories or thoughts from you? Yeah, or? so um, positive one from me. Um, I have a very close friend of mine now, um, but who used to work for me in the early days. And we were really struggling uh, with our working relationship. Uh, and she was incredibly effective and I was relatively effective. Um, but we just couldn't get it together and um, we had some help with some coaching from my coach who's a lovely lady who introduced uh, I already knew a little bit about Myers-Briggs but uh, this other person didn't 
and Rachel very effectively um, helped us, gave us visuals. Okay. And she drew on a drew on a wall a, a set of stairs, effectively, if you imagine a zigzag. Yeah. And then um, drew uh, a curve with a big bump in the middle, and then a low line, and then a big bump at the end. Okay. And she was trying to explain that I'm an extreme P, so I get really excited at the beginning, do loads of work, forget all about it for six weeks, and then I am amazing at the end. Yeah. Versus this other person who is amazing at breaking things down into really equal steps and moving things forward. Yeah. And what was happening was that uh, this person was waiting on me constantly to do things, whereas, and at the very end, I'd want to do it all at the end and be like, come alive, with deadlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd be like, well, I've done all mine. Yeah. And so we'd hold up the process. And, you know, it didn't, it is astonishing the impact that had on our relationship. Absolutely astonishing. The ability for that other person to understand that I wasn't deliberately out to like make their life miserable. Yeah, yeah. And that this was just my preference. And that actually between us, we could come up with a schedule where we would divide up the work and um, come up with really practical stuff like um, every email used to have, uh, I'm going to, from them, I'm going to do this unless you let me know by Friday you want me to do something different. Right. And I'd be like, that's fine. Brilliant. Because that's given me the option. And if, I if I'm not going to get engaged with it, then you can just crack on. Yeah. Um, but also, actually, on a very real level, it brought us much closer together. Yeah. Um, and it actually meant that we have a relationship way beyond work now. Yeah. Um, because we've been able to support each other in some of the challenges that we face when our natural preference is so different. Yeah. So it can be really helpful. Yeah. It can. It can. I mean, I still question the, the science under it, but... It's that thing, isn't it? The science can be terrible, but if it's actually it's helping you, it's still be useful, you, right? It's I useful. Mean, yeah. So, any final thoughts or top tips, Fern, based on that? Uh, no, I, I've got one one warning, word of yeah. warning. Um, I have been in a work environment consistently doing uh, some of these, including one of them was Discovery Insights, where people go, oh, Red, that's the CEO one. Yes. Right? You can be a great... I'm talking directly to the microphone because I'm so worried about <laughs> this. Right? I'm wagging I'm waggling waggling your pen at the microphone. Right? So continue you can be a great leader, a great manager, a great CEO. You can run a great organisation with any personality type. It's about self-awareness and it's about building the right team around you to uh, set off your strengths and to offset your weaknesses. Yeah, the right? blend. And it, and it really annoys me because people see red, which is a very... Discovery uh, reds, and it's not discovery, they do it with all of the personality types. It's just a good example. They see it as decisive, physical action. Directive. Um, very yeah. directive. I have worked with brilliant, brilliant leaders and CEOs who have been all of the personality types. Yeah. Um, as Agreed. they are defined. So I just, yeah. please don't start thinking that you are not this potential CEO, leader, whatever you're thinking about because you've got the wrong, in inverted commas, yeah. personality type. You don't. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was a, a strong, Sorry. strong final thought there. Um, <laughs> mine's slightly less strong, but... I guess, heartfelt as well. Do use these things for self-awareness and awareness of others. It's good. It gives you common language. It's massively helpful. But steer away from them for decision-making. Because in reality, a lot of other factors have a much greater correlation with an, a, a person's ability to do a job than their personality type is raised by these. It's so lazy, it's, right? It's lazy. It's fundamentally lazy yeah. to pick someone because you've got, they've got a score on a test versus you actually taking the time and effort to understand. Yeah. So there we go. Final thoughts from us. And that brings us to the end. And we will see you again next time. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Yeah, you can get the, uh, get in touch with us on Twitter at The Wild Podcast. Yeah. So until we speak again, we will say goodbye to you all. And that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of The World of Work Podcast. 
To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.